Understood, a podcast dedicated to better understanding MS and learning to live well with MS. I'm your host, Katie Sloan. Our usual reminders as we begin, I am not an expert, just a person like you living with MS and trying to make the best of it. Misunderstood is based on my personal experience, what I've learned from my doctors, other care providers, and my own solutions-oriented research and pattern-finding obsession. While the majority of the information I share has been vetted by doctors, I am not a doctor. My intention is that you use the information shared here as a springboard for discussion between you and your doctor regarding your future care options. Lastly, MS impacts each of us uniquely. I hope to shine a light on a wide range of approaches and strategies for living better with MS. But what you choose to do with that information is always your choice, and what works for one may not work for all. As we get started today, it's important to note that this is part two of this introduction to boundaries. So listeners, if you haven't listened to last week's episode, I strongly suggest you listen to that episode first. Last week, we dedicated some time to reflecting on our relationships to see where we could benefit from installing stronger boundaries. We also did some preliminary exercises to gain clarity on what our personal boundaries are. Originally today, I wanted to add in a few more helpful related pieces of information, like ACEs and resiliency, that can inform our need to create boundaries, as well as better explain why some of us struggle so much with boundaries. But my research on that yielded enough to warrant a full episode, so we'll save that for next time and focus this episode, rather, on how to create and communicate our boundaries with others. My gratitude today is for my garden, and specifically for my sunflowers, which are finally blooming. This is the first time I've grown sunflowers in my forever garden, and they're finally blooming and oh so cheery. Gratefully, this comes at a time when I need it most. Listeners know by now that I love turning to nature as a guide for how to live life, and what I researched recently about sunflowers is no exception. First, some sunflower basics. There are over 70 varieties, and the sunflower is symbolic of a long life and lasting happiness, since they stand tall, sometimes over six feet, in full bloom for a very long time, even during the hottest days of summer. Their bright yellow color brightens our mood and signifies vitality, intelligence, and happiness. Sunflowers are quite common and easy to grow in many locations and in a wide variety of soils. They are a symbolic gift in many cultures, used to convey adoration, platonic love, toward another person. And they also signify loyalty and strong bonds between two people, as represented by the strong and straight stems. The sunflower is known as a sun seeker actively seeking out positivity and strength as their golden yellow heads face and track the sun. The sunflower also reminds us to nourish ourselves with healthy foods from the earth, 
as it provides an abundance of healthy seeds. Some Native American cultures celebrate sunflowers in their annual harvest festivities, elevating sunflower symbolism to include harvest, bounty, and provision. Sunflowers have been grown for centuries because they provide edible seeds, oil, dye pigment, pigments from their petals, and stock pith, which can be used for making paper. Now, on to what I found most captivating. Do you know what sunflowers do when the sun isn't out? You might think they wilt or turn their heads toward the ground. But in fact, sunflowers, especially young sunflowers, actually turn to each other in times of darkness. Of course, when it's sunny, they prefer to keep their heads turned facing the sun. And when they are young, their blooms actually move throughout the day to follow the sun. Researchers say the young plant's sun tracking, called heliotropism, can be explained by circadian rhythms, which are behavioral changes tied to an internal clock similar to ours, which follows a roughly 24-hour cycle. A young sunflower faces east at dawn and greets the sun, then slowly turns west as the sun moves across the sky. During the night, it slowly turns back east to prepare to begin the cycle again. Researchers have discovered that the plant's turning is actually a result of different sides of the stem elongating their growth at different times of the day. This variable growth rate is what causes the sunflower to gently rotate its head toward the sun during the day and also to reorient itself at night in anticipation of dawn to greet the first morning's light. Older sunflowers respond differently as their overall growth slows down and they prepare for pollination and seed production. They react more strongly to light early in the morning than the afternoon or evening, so they gradually stop moving westward during the day. When researchers compared mature flowers facing east with those facing west, they found that the eastern-facing blooms attracted five times as many pollinators because the east-facing flowers heat up faster and bees prefer warm flowers. When sunflowers experience prolonged absence of adequate water, they wilt and no longer turn to face the sun even if they're still young because heliotropism is dependent on sufficient internal pressure from water to allow proper bending of stems to track the sun's movement. Interestingly, too much water can also result in the same phenomenon, so the sunflower really does need optimal care to thrive. In a similar fashion, sunflowers that grow in greenhouses with fixed overhead lighting rather than accessed sunlight, do not move heliotropically. This makes me think about how hard artificial light is on my eyes, so much worse than natural light. Perhaps I'm more of a sunflower than I previously thought. There have even been experiments where scientists tied up sunflower plants so they couldn't move and turned them purposefully away from the sun. Turns out, just like we don't do so well without vitamin D, neither does the sunflower.
Over time, these sunflowers had decreased biomass and less leafy areas than flowers that were allowed to move naturally with the sun. So just like us, sunflowers rely on healthy daily rhythms and routines to function. And let's go back and spend a little more time basking in the light of how sunflowers turn toward one another when there is no sun. It's nice to think of this as a sign of support, as if they are seeking companionship and healing light source from a friend. Sunflowers also help each other below the surface. Sunflower roots are aware of each other and work together to share the soil nutrients. This teamwork has much to teach us, especially on our MS journey. We all want a lot of light and happiness in our lives. But along with sunny days, life also offers up a healthy dose of cloudy days, rainy days, and days filled with sadness or challenge. That's just a natural part of life. When we're going through a rough patch, it's easy to become overwhelmed, anxious, or depressed. But what if we could rather do what sunflowers do? Seek out others, share our light with each other, be there together. All those actions help the sunflowers get through the darkness, so why not us too? Sunflowers don't dwell on the fact that it's dark. They don't hang their heads low in despair. Rather, they turn toward one another, activate their inner light, and share it with others. This is also really helpful to remember when reflecting on our relationships like we did last week in preparation for today's boundary work. Those closest to us in our inner circles, the people who care for us most and are there for us the most when we need them, our fellow flock members who truly understand our challenges, these are our fellow sunflowers. Together, we can chase the light and in times of inevitable darkness, turn toward each other to obtain all the support that we need to get us through. Hopefully, your relationship reflection last week yielded lots of gratitude for the many awesome relationships you have in your life. And it's likely that your reflection also illuminated some areas for opportunity. We're going to focus on those today. And you should leave today's episode equipped with enough tools and strategies to begin living with stronger boundaries where they are needed. Any healthy relationship requires the space to be ourselves and to maintain our personal integrity. Most people will respect our boundaries when we explain what they are and will expect that we do the same for them. It's a two-way street. Chances are, people who try to invade our space either don't have clarity on our boundaries, or if they do, are not thinking about how pushing the limits of our boundaries will affect us. They may feel entitled to get whatever they ask for, whatever they think they need, because, as we learned last week, when someone is entitled, their needs seem much more important to them than ours do. For many of us, our earliest experiences were positive enough to allow us to develop a trusting attitude when it comes to interacting with others. For some of us, however, and especially those who experienced challenges in childhood, 
the line can get so blurry that we become unsure of our boundaries and when they are being crossed, or we're not sure exactly where to draw the line. We may, therefore, have a great deal of difficulty with trust as a result of instability, inconsistency, invasion of boundaries, and even actual threat of harm or alienation at some point in our lives. We may be more vulnerable or more open to boundary violations. Many in this situation may experience feelings of guilt or shame about making someone angry or unhappy if we don't agree or allow behavior that is not aligned with our preferred boundaries. We'll dive deeper into this next week as we focus on ACEs, adverse childhood experiences, and resiliency. So, how do we know when our boundaries are being crossed? Last week, we talked about some of the broad categories that comprise boundary violations, verbal, psychological, emotional, physical, ethical, moral, and spiritual. And I wanted to briefly add in some additional behaviors that can clue us into future boundary building opportunities. Verbal violations can include not allowing someone to speak or be heard, raising voices and or screaming at someone, saying things that are derogatory or inflammatory about someone's integrity and character or gossiping. Psychological and emotional boundary violations include preying upon someone's sense of self and self-esteem, using something they've been told in confidence against someone, lying, criticizing, demeaning, judging, manipulating, making fun of someone or their thoughts, feelings, looks, or beliefs, or trying to make someone feel guilty or responsible for them or a situation where they are capable of doing it themselves. It could also mean making demands of other people's time and energy, shaming or embarrassing someone, bullying or attempting to make someone believe or feel that their thoughts and beliefs are less important than theirs may be. Physical violations include moving into someone's personal space, touching without permission, being inappropriate or or too familiar, especially sexually, and that includes sexual references and jokes, touching or handling things that belong to others, violating privacy, whether it be for a cell phone, computer, social media, or personal records, damaging or destroying other people's personal property, or threatening them with physical harm. While for some it may take time and several relationships to figure it out, eventually we get better at knowing who we want in our lives and understanding who respects us and our space, as opposed to toxic or entitled folks who are only out for themselves. Here are some tips in the meantime to help us navigate our way to our goal of establishing and maintaining healthy boundaries. Number one. Take responsibility for ourselves. This means to become aware, to develop the capacity for active conscious involvement, to know what needs to be done for ourselves. By setting our own boundaries, we're telling others how we want and expect to be treated. 
In other words, we're setting our limits about who can come into our space and what we expect of others once they're there. How we want to be spoken to, touched, and treated psychologically and emotionally. Whatever we say goes, no matter what others may think, feel, or believe. In a similar way, we are not responsible for the feelings, actions, and beliefs of others, or for the way they react to the boundaries we've set. Number two, develop a healthy respect for ourselves. All our experiences, including the mistakes we've made, help to shape our character and make us who we are. No one besides us, no matter how persuasive they may be, can define us or try to control who we are. When we respect ourselves, all of who we are, we should expect that others will respond by treating us with respect. If they don't, that's a clear sign not to engage. Number three, heed the warning signs. Stay away from anyone who has his or her own agenda and thinks nothing of pushing the limit of invading our space for their own selfish benefit. This is not a hard thing to recognize since there's usually not much subtlety involved. In fact, the more we resist their attempts to engage us in a way that's best for them, the more obvious, desperate, insulting, and shrill they may become as they try to up the ante. Number four, don't try to fix people. Fixing others is a way of trying to get love, attention, and or validation. Getting love, attention, or validation must be more okay, right? But it's actually a waste of our time and energy to try to fix them. Because bottom line, they're not interested in becoming any other way than they are. And the fact is, we certainly don't need fixing from self-serving people who want to tell us what to do and what's good for us. Number five, we are in charge of our choices. We have the right to change our mind and our direction at any time. We don't need to feel that we owe anyone anything more than we want to give with our free and conscious heart. Anyone who mistreats us is disrespectful of our wishes, refuses to hear us, and has no intention of changing is a huge red flag. Be ready to walk away without fear or guilt and don't look back. Since we've established that self-awareness is the first step of establishing boundaries, and we're now at least somewhat aware of areas in our lives that we may benefit from utilizing stronger boundaries, Let's take a look at something called the boundary spectrum as a framework for assessing our boundary needs and implementation success. Boundaries refer to the degree of closeness and limits we have with other people. The term boundary is a metaphor to describe how and when we let people into our personal space, whether it be physically or emotionally. It refers to our ability to say no to unwanted requests and to ask for the things we need or want. It also describes the quality or depth of connection we have with others and how compatible our emotional and psychological well-being is with theirs. We learn our boundary style from our origin family 
and often unconsciously continue the same pattern into our adult relationships, recreating the same amount of limits, connection, or distance with other people. Or sometimes we overreact to our early boundary experiences and do the complete opposite of how we were raised. Our personal boundary style can be thought of as being on a spectrum, ranging from no boundaries or boundaryless to extremely rigid boundaries. There are several different terms used by various boundary experts for different locations along this spectrum. At one end of the spectrum, where there are no boundaries, this is often referred to as boundaryless, diffuse, codependent, porous, or loose boundaries. In the middle, we have clear, interdependent, or healthy functional boundaries. And at the far end of the spectrum, we have rigid, firm, or independent boundaries. As we look closer at this spectrum, let's each assess where we fit in. It's important to note that we don't constantly operate at just one point along the spectrum but rather we can notice patterns in specific relationships as to where along the spectrum we tend to interact with certain people in our lives. In looking at this spectrum, people who have what are called diffuse or loose boundaries are often categorized as somewhat codependent. If we have relationships where we fall at this end of the spectrum, we might have difficulty saying no to unwanted requests or making requests of others. In relationships, this can lead to what is called overconnection or enmeshment. In this state, we are not really able to distinguish our own wants and needs from those of our family or a partner. We are highly dependent on each other and subject to the other's emotional state and mood. Rather than a connection, it is referred to as an entanglement. A couple, or a parent and child, who are enmeshed can have difficulty forming relationships with other people and tend to be very inflexible. People with diffuse boundaries may have difficulty functioning or making decisions without their partner's approval or even with strangers in ordinary interactions. If we have loose boundaries, we may overshare personal information with others, have difficulty saying no to the requests of others, or be over-involved in others' problems. We may also be dependent on the opinions of others, be too accepting of abuse or disrespect from others, or fear rejection if we do not comply with others. This type of boundary is often the result of insecurity, a belief that we are not good enough and that giving in to other people's wants before our own in all situations is the only way to have relationships. On the far other end of the spectrum, we may have rigid boundaries. If we have these kinds of boundaries, we are often characterized as independent. We may be often distant from others highly independent, and frightened of needing to count on someone else. We may allow little emotional connection to occur, with our relationships functioning only as a way to fulfill our individual wants and desires, without regard to how that might impact others' wants and needs. 
People with this style are often insecure about whether people will really be there for them. So they've decided to focus on meeting their own needs, often offending or hurting others in the process. If we have rigid boundaries, we may often avoid intimacy and close relationships, be unlikely to ask for help, have few close relationships, be very protective of personal information, and we may seem detached even with romantic partners. We may also prefer to keep others at a distance to avoid the possibility of rejection. Ideally, we strive to have clear boundaries and are interdependent. We can modulate our ability to ask for things or say no depending on the situation. We can connect with people when we choose and keep harmful or unwanted people away. We are interdependent on other people without being dependent. We are able to fully connect with others emotionally to consider the impact of our actions and our family and partners, all without forgetting about our own needs and wants. We give regard to everyone's well-being in an interaction, including our own. We have a sense of security in knowing we are connected and cared for, while still being able to function independently when necessary. We are also flexible to unforeseen changes and can operate well, both alone or with others. We value our own opinions and don't compromise our values for others. We share personal information in an appropriate way without over or under sharing. We know our personal wants and needs and can communicate them. And we accept when others say no to us. Keep in mind that our personal concept of healthy boundaries is culturally specific. In dominant American culture, for example, highly rigid boundaries are often valued. Personal happiness is considered more important than the well-being of others. We tend to elevate rugged individualism, and relationships are often viewed as a liability, a detriment to our efforts to achieve and learn. So being assertive and even aggressive at times is tolerated. In contrast, some more traditional cultures, such as in Asia or India, have long valued the group and collective as more important than the individual. Setting what might seem like healthy boundaries to Americans might be offensive in those families or communities, so it's important to be aware of and respectful of cultural bias of boundaries. Let's take a moment to think about our own boundaries along this spectrum by asking ourselves a few reflection questions. What type of boundaries do we typically set in our current relationships? Are there patterns here that could offer helpful insights for us? Number two, when we reflect upon the boundaries prevalent in our origin family that we learned as a child, what patterns do we see? Did everyone in the family have the same boundary style? Or did some members have diffuse boundaries while others were more rigid? How does this impact your location on the boundary spectrum with each specific family member? Number three, when we were young, 
Did we want to feel more or less connection with our origin family? How about now? What indicators have we received from origin family members that may communicate to us about their connection preferences? Number four, in current or past relationships, where has conflict occurred when boundary expectations were different? Did we possibly get in trouble for setting strong boundaries? Or were we harmed by not having solid boundaries? And number five, which style of boundaries do we tend to bring to relationships most frequently? What skills might we benefit from developing to have even better boundaries? Taking time to reflect deeply on these questions will help us with the next step, actually setting our boundaries. A boundary is an often unspoken rule protecting our energetic space. Many boundaries may seem like common sense, like don't grab a stranger's butt, but other boundaries vary by person to person and by situation. What may be acceptable to one person in one type of situation may not be acceptable to another person. Boundaries are necessary in order to maintain good physical, mental, and emotional health. They come in all forms, from physical boundaries to social media boundaries to boundaries we set around our time and everything else in between. Many times we hesitate to set or maintain our boundaries because we are so scared of how others might react. It's imperative that we do it anyways. So, setting boundaries. We need to know what our personal boundaries are. We also need to be able to name our boundaries and maintain our boundaries. In knowing our personal boundaries, we should be able to clearly define by now what our intellectual, emotional, physical, and spiritual boundaries are with strangers, work colleagues, friends, family, and intimate partners. Examining past experiences where we felt discomfort, anger, resentment, or frustration with an individual can be enlightening, and these are times when our limits may have been crossed. Since our boundary criteria evolves over time, it's important to reflect upon them and update them as experience and learning changes us over time. Refer back to the I will and I will not lists from the previous episode that we made if that is helpful. We cannot expect others to magically know our boundaries, even if they seem like common sense to us. It's important to remember that every human has unique life experiences and challenges, so not everyone thinks like we do or chooses to respond to situations in the same way. Since no one can read our minds, it's up to us to clearly and kindly name or state our boundaries. Consistency is key here. If we are wishy-washy, there is no one to blame but ourselves for others being confused or continuing to disrespect our boundaries. It's also up to us to maintain our boundaries once they are in place. If we allow for boundary collapses, for example, one day we assert a specific boundary, but then we don't the next day, or we may even break our own boundary, 
then we are not showing up for ourselves in the way we need to. And how can we expect others to honor something that we don't ourselves honor? I will repeat a line from our previous episode here that I believe is incredibly powerful. We don't like it when others invalidate our feelings, so why on earth would we do it to ourselves? When we aren't consistent in tending to our boundaries, we end up deceiving ourselves and letting ourselves down. And we can't, in all fairness, get angry at someone who is following our lead on how we manage our boundaries if we aren't consistent. Most experts believe that people generally want to respect another person's boundaries. And so when we send confusing messages regarding what our boundaries may or may not be, we often end up resenting said person who may be unintentionally stepping over boundaries. It's critical that once we establish our boundaries, that we tend to them in a consistent manner over time. It's important when we start setting boundaries to start small by setting firm yet simple boundaries using a neutral tone with people who generally do respect our boundaries. Creating and stating boundaries is great, but it's the follow through that counts. The only way to truly alert others that our boundaries have been crossed is to be direct with them. Being assertive, particularly if we are unaccustomed to doing so, can be really difficult and even scary. So we should start small with something manageable and build up our assertive skill to larger tasks over time. In a moment, I'll share some good ideas of places to start. And you'll notice that as the list goes on, the difficulty might potentially increase because the ideas toward the top of the list typically involve strangers. It's easier to establish a boundary or correct a boundary with a stranger where there's no additional emotional connection. As we go down the list, you'll notice the settings, interactions, and required messaging become more emotional and potentially more difficult and involved. So, starting at the top. Did the restaurant server get your order wrong? Ask them politely to correct the order to be what you actually ordered. Did the cashier overcharge you? Ask for a correction to be made. Are you receiving unwanted messages from potential romantic suitors? Explain that you are not interested and would appreciate if they would stop messaging you. Is someone intruding on your personal dating life by giving unsolicited advice? Say that you'd rather talk about something else. Is a work colleague pushing their work onto you? Remind them that it isn't within the scope of your role. Your capacity is dedicated to your own work and direct them to someone who might be better able to help. Did a friend do something to hurt you? Ask them to meet you for lunch and explain why their words or actions hurt you. As we get better at it and move on to setting boundaries in more challenging relationships, we should take it slowly and expect pushback. When we start establishing boundaries with a serious boundary breaker or ignorer in our life, 
We should be sure to have support in place before and after each conversation. Sometimes I use the Boundaries podcast called Beyond Bitchy to fire me up for a conversation and remind me what's most important. Consistency and perseverance are important. Don't give up. As we gain more personal power in these imbalanced relationships, it will get easier. And if you recall, we mentioned in the previous episode about how when we start erecting boundaries, the worst offenders will fight back and hard. So we need to be ready for that and have an exit strategy in place, as well as one or more of our sunflower friends nearby for support. When setting boundaries, there is no need to defend, debate, or over-explain our feelings but we should back up our boundary with action. Be firm and strong, yet gracious and direct. When faced with resistance, simply repeat the statement request. If we give in, we invite people to ignore our needs. When we first start acting assertively, if it is a departure from our usual state, we may be afraid that others will perceive us as mean or rude. But affirming our boundaries means that we value ourselves, our needs, and our feelings more than the thoughts and opinions of others. And that is important because it's our job to be the holder of our thoughts and opinions. Being assertive does not mean that we are unkind. It only means that we are being fair and honest with others while maintaining our peace, dignity, and self-respect. After all, not informing someone that they have crossed a line only leads to resentment on our end and confusion on theirs. The only way to set better boundaries is by practicing how to tell someone that they've crossed ours. Here are some basic guidelines for setting boundaries in certain situations using simple and direct language. To buy ourselves time when making a tough decision. I'll have to sleep on it. I have a policy of not making decisions right away. To back out of a commitment. I realize I agreed to head the committee, but after reviewing my schedule, I realize I don't have capacity to give it my full attention. I'd like to help by finding a replacement by the end of the week. To set a boundary with someone who is yelling at us. I am not going to allow you to continue yelling at me. If you continue, I'll need to leave the room. To set a boundary with personal phone calls at work. I've decided I need to take all personal calls in the evening in order to get my work done during work hours. I will need to call you back later. To say no to extra commitments. Although it's important to me to be helpful, I need to decline your request to honor my family's current needs. To set a boundary with someone who is critical. It's not okay with me that you comment on my weight. I'm asking you to stop. To set a boundary with an adult who repeatedly borrows money without paying it back. I won't be lending you money anymore. I love you and need you to take financial responsibility for yourself. Sometimes, despite our best efforts, we encounter people whom we just can't seem to establish a mutual respectful relationship with. 
We'll look at that a little more next week, but for now, just know that sometimes this is unavoidable. And sometimes the best course of action is to end a friendship or relationship, or at the very least, pull back. Our companionship is ours alone to give. Nobody is entitled to it. So when we do encounter someone that refuses to work with us toward a healthier relationship, reminding ourselves of our own worth and that no one has the right to make us feel uncomfortable or make us feel unsafe, then it may be time to walk away. And that's okay. Remember, only a handful of people travel with us for a lifetime. Others walk with us for a reason or a season. And that's okay. So far, we've been looking at boundaries between us and another person. And yet another critical way to strengthen our overall boundaries that we employ with others is to strengthen our personal internal boundaries. One of the reasons that we may take things personally is because we have weak internal boundaries as well as external boundaries. An internal boundary is like an invisible shield that prevents us from accepting or taking in a comment as truth without fact-checking it first. For example, when someone accuses us of being arrogant, defensive, or rude, we should first stop and consider the statement before taking it in as truth. When we use this internal shield, especially with difficult people like an ex-spouse or a critical parent, it gives us time to ask ourselves the following three questions. How much of this is actually true about me? How much of this is actually about the other person not getting their way? And what do I need to do, if anything, to regain my personal power or stand up for myself? This last question is very important. Too often we neglect to stand up for ourselves by avoiding confrontation and end up weakening our internal shield, making it harder to set boundaries at all. So, if someone offends us, it is necessary to let them know in order to protect and strengthen our internal boundaries. As we get better at setting boundaries, we may stumble upon some roadblocks. These roadblocks can take many forms. One way may be that people don't understand why we're all of a sudden showing up in a very different way, or all of a sudden saying no to something we've previously said yes to many times. To overcome said resistance, we should communicate that our priorities have changed and that we are trying to do a better job at taking care of our needs. If we feel our own resistance to focusing on ourselves, remember, when we put ourselves first, we are then fully available to be there for others without resentment or anger. Sometimes it may be a feeling of guilt that stands in our way of saying no to the things we don't want to do. To overcome feelings of guilt, we have to be ready to make tough choices to change our lives. Many therapists believe that guilt is the most common obstacle in taking care of ourselves. We will feel guilty by making ourselves a priority at first. To overcome that guilt, let's face it head on and choose to see it as a sign that we are actually on the right track. 
When we start making ourselves a priority, we may feel uncomfortable and even uncaring, and yet we shouldn't let that deter us from the journey. If we stay the course and find support from the flock, sunflowers, or marigolds that exist in our life, from a therapist, friends, etc., this will help us finally find the cure of the disease to please. Let's take just a quick moment now to look at how this relates to us living with MS specifically. Many of us living with MS try to keep up appearances, sometimes at all costs and to our own detriment. We don't want people to treat us differently or less than because of our condition. Whether it is at home, the office, or with friends, we often feel compelled to say yes to every request, even if we know we may pay a price for it later. But saying yes to everything adds extra stress to managing our MS. For example, if someone wants us to do something, but we are experiencing fatigue and don't want to go, we may give in and muster up the energy to entertain or socialize when we don't have the energy. Sometimes this won't be a problem, but sometimes it can be. And if we do get together when we are experiencing debilitating fatigue, we'll likely have to put forth significant effort to stay focused, energetic, and upbeat. Once they leave, however, we'll be completely exhausted by the physical and mental efforts we made to accommodate their request. This is an example where learning how to say no and honoring our no becomes very important. We can also actually look at our MS as an important tool in our toolboxes and especially useful for setting and maintaining boundaries. For example, as flock member James often says, we can use MS to our benefit too. Sure, MS takes a lot from us, but it can also be a tool if we're willing to use it to our advantage sometimes. So when we learn to say no to decline an invitation, we can keep it short and to the point without over-explaining. Like, thank you for the invitation. Unfortunately, it doesn't work for me today. Can we try again when it's a better time? Using MS to support our nose is even easier when we cite our unique temperature or mobility requirements, for example. And when we explain our MS symptoms, we actually help educate by spreading better understanding of this disease and all that comes with it. By doing this, our words also may feel like less of a rejection, but rather a fact of our condition. So for example, I'd love to help you carry those boxes, but I'm having trouble with my balance due to my MS, so it wouldn't be safe for me to help. Or, I'd love to go on a hike, but the high temperatures and humidity will make me lose my eyesight, so it wouldn't be safe for me right now. As we've talked about before, we can choose to look at MS as a gift. And this is one place where it can really help us and provide us with an extra boost of strength especially if we are someone who struggles with boundary setting. If we are serious about learning to slow our disease progression and learn to live well with MS, we need to make it our focus or our essential question on our healing journey. And with an ever-changing disease like MS, over time, our health needs will change, 
as will our abilities and limitations. So learning how to communicate these changes to others in our lives is important and will help us to maintain healthy boundaries and healthy relationships over time. The last topic we'll look at quickly today is how to recognize and honor other people's boundaries. Ha! You didn't think we'd just talk about how to get others to honor our boundaries, did you? If you haven't figured this out about me already, I like to look at things from all angles and perspectives as it helps me to see a more complete picture. And since we mentioned that boundary work is a two-way street and involves two people, and that rarely in a relationship is the issue 100% emanating from one person only, it makes sense that we need to look at boundaries from the receiving end as well. Just like others may struggle with honoring our boundaries, we may struggle with other people's boundaries. It all comes down to open communication and an awareness of other people's space and boundaries. I'll share a couple quick and easy ways to better understand other people's boundaries. The easiest method is to observe, specifically watching for social cues. Observing people's behavior when they interact with us or others can clue us into their boundary preferences. For instance, if we are talking with someone in a social setting and they step back when we step forward, they are informing us about their comfort level with closeness. Other clues that might indicate that someone may desire more space might include avoiding eye contact, turning away or sideways, limited response or disengagement from the conversation, excessive nodding or uh-huh, their voice suddenly becoming higher pitched, nervous gestures like laughing, talking fast, or talking with hands, folding arms or stiffening of posture, flinching or wincing, when observing others to better understand their preferred boundaries, it's also important that we be inclusive of neurodiverse behaviors. Neurodiversity is a newer term used to describe people who live with autism, are on the spectrum, or who have other developmental disabilities. Their social cues may be different from the norm, such as poor eye contact or difficulty starting a conversation. They may also be very sensitive to physical touches in social settings, so asking if it's okay to give someone a hug, especially a neurodiverse person, is always safer than assuming they want it. While MS isn't currently included in the term neurodiverse, we can still display some similar feedback if others are watching carefully for it. For example, we may struggle with being comfortable in crowded or loud spaces shy away from bright lights, exhibit startle response when someone touches us unexpectedly, be more sensitive to the movements of a vehicle, exhibit an unexpected emotion in public by crying or laughing at what others may think of as an inappropriate or inopportune time, or become frustrated when we can't remember a word or say the wrong word in a social setting. So in those ways, I think it's important to consider the ways those of us with MS are potentially different and maybe have more in common with those living with autism or on the spectrum. 
So remember, everyone is unique in their cues. Some people may use certain gestures all the time without intending to mean anything, or they may not provide easily interpreted cues, or you may not pick up on the subtleties of their cues. As we gain more experience and comfort in discussing our boundaries openly, another great way to better understand someone else's boundaries, especially if they are hard to figure out through observation, is to simply ask. While it may feel odd or scary at first, your inquiry will most likely be met with appreciation and illuminate you as a safe person to set boundaries with openly. The biggest takeaways I hope you leave with today. Our physical health is directly impacted by boundaries. Loose boundaries leads to unhealthy behavior patterns. Honoring what we want and need through establishing and maintaining healthy boundaries will help all aspects of our physical and mental health. Living a life of no regrets requires boundaries, especially when living with MS. When we take responsibility for ourselves and learn to better manage our personal resources, our time, our energy, our talents, our love, it will help us ensure that we are maximizing our time on this planet doing what we love most. Slowing down, nurturing ourselves, and allowing ourselves to look inwards to fully examine if a request warrants a yes or a no before committing will allow us to live a life in alignment with our legacy goals. Becoming a skilled observer can help us to build stronger boundaries with others and also illuminate their boundaries for us, helping us all to clearly know, name, and mention our boundaries in relationships. Internal boundaries, what we let in, are just as important as the external boundaries we set with others. Just like we need to tend to our fountains to ensure they are functioning properly, regular maintenance of our internal boundary gate is likewise important. We control what we let in. It can be difficult to start putting boundaries into place. Like anything new, it takes practice. Start small and get support. Having some sunflowers, marigolds, and flock members around helps everything. <coughs> Following this and every podcast, I offer Zoom sessions for our Patreon listeners to discuss the episode's topic together. I hope you'll join us. Become a patron on patreon.com slash msflock for the Zoom session schedule and invitation links. Membership is only $1 a month to access these important flockings and to access more content and opportunities. Next week, we'll look at ACEs and resiliency and learn how our early childhood experiences and how we persevere in the face of challenges is related to boundary setting and living well with MS. Feel free, as always, to submit questions, comments, or future podcast topics or guest ideas to mymsflock at gmail.com. Until next time, be thinking about how you can be a better version of yourself when it comes to establishing and maintaining boundaries in relationship. Flock members, I look forward to hearing your personal reflections this Saturday. Lastly, 
Remember, as we travel through life with MS, we're certain to hit some turbulence. We'll get through it, especially if we're flying together, supporting one another. Thank you for listening, and until next time, be well. Ah!